You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. chose Judas to fulfill prophecy. He also chose Judas so that we can relate to him and he can relate to our hurts. Everyone I know has been hurt by someone who thought a friend, someone you trusted. Jesus can relate to your broken heart. He can relate to what you're going through because it happened to him. Only his situation led him to a cross. He knows exactly how you feel so he can have compassion on you and he can love you and he can show you through the midst. If you've ever had a friend or family member, then you've experienced betrayal on some level. You've probably been guilty of it as well. Today, Pastor Dave will remind us that we're not alone. Jesus experienced the ultimate betrayal at the hands of Judas, the covert defector whose heart never truly followed him. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter six as he begins his message, The Covert Doctrine. We're looking at John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the last two verses in the chapter, verses 70 and 71. So if you will turn there, John chapter 6, 70 and 71. Hopefully you've made your way to that passage. So I'm going to read aloud if you'd like to follow along silently. John chapter 6, verse 70. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. So we're coming to the end of chapter 6 in the Gospel of John. You remember last week that we talked about that many who had been called his disciples, after Jesus said that you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, many of them left. Many of them just walked away. They thought his his teaching was difficult. Scripture says it was a hard saying. It was difficult doctrine. But as we studied the words that were written there, as we looked at the words that were written there by the Apostle John, in fact, Jesus' own words, and we looked at the different word languages and the way the words were formed, it really wasn't such a hard doctrine to understand. It was a hard doctrine to apply. They couldn't apply it to their lives. So they left. They left them standing there. See, Jesus was trying to draw them into a deeper, deeper relationship with him. And they could not accept what it meant because what it meant was change. And they weren't ready to change their lives. They weren't ready to be sold out for Jesus. They weren't ready to make a stand for the Savior of the world who was ready to give them eternal life. They weren't ready to have him change their lives in so many glorious ways. And this became hard for them and stumbled them, so they left. They left. They went back to their old ways. They went back to their old habits, their old lives, but they went back empty. They didn't have eternal life. How sad is that? After they were gone, Jesus turned, and he was all alone except for the 12. And he asked a very logical question of the 12. 
Are you leaving too? Are you leaving with the rest of them? Peter becomes the spokesperson for the 12. And he says this in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, Son of the living God. Peter's saying that we're going to be faithful to you, Lord, because we've come to believe and know that you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Anointed One, the one who was foretold to come. You are He, and we're going to worship you and serve you the best way we can. But Peter was speaking for everybody. He was speaking for the Twelve, but one of them was not what he appeared to be. One of them in the Twelve was a poser. And in today's text, Jesus now responds to Peter's statement. And look at verse 71a. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you? Did I not choose you? Jesus chose these men. He handpicked them. And this should give them more incentive to stay with him. I chose you to follow me. He chose all of them, all 12. 12 men who would turn the world upside down. Jesus chose them. It's interesting, though. Have you ever thought about the apostles? And you can include the apostle Paul. Have you ever thought about them? I mean, we seem to think of them as superhumans. We see their pictures encased in stained glass all over these cathedrals, and they look larger than life. I mean, we think that they're somehow different than we are. I mean, after all, they walk with Jesus. But if you honestly explore the scriptures, you see just the opposite. You see, they were just mere ordinary men. Ordinary men who were subject to the same weaknesses, the same fears, and the same shortcomings that we all experience from time to time. In fact, it seems as though Jesus went out of his way to choose them, just so they could be examples to us. I found something that I want to share with you that I've shared before. I don't know when I shared it last, but it fits right here. Suppose... Jesus didn't choose them. Suppose instead he hired a consulting firm to handpick 12 guys who would eventually lead his new organization called the church. Suppose he went to the Jordan Consultant Management Company of Jerusalem and said, I want you to pick these men for me because I'm starting a new organization called the church and I want you to choose these guys for me. He would collect their resumes, and he would take them to this consulting firm, and he would give them their resumes. The results might sound something like this. Dear Mr. Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you are considering for a management position in your organization. All of them have taken a battery of tests, the results of which were run through our sophisticated computer analysis. We also have arranged personal interviews for each candidate with our psychologist and our vocational aptitude consultant. It is our staff's unanimous opinion that most of the nominees are lacking qualifications of any type of your enterprise and undertaking. So therefore, we recommend that you continue your search for people of more experience and more managerial ability. And let me say this about a few. We find that Simon Peter is emotionally unstable. <laughs> I mean, he's given the fits of anger. He seems to be far too impulsive to be put in a position of leadership. And his brother Andrew, he has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The brothers Zebedee, James and John, they place personal interest above company loyalty. 
And they seem to be impatient with others. Due to this impatience and ambition, they could one day become disgruntled employees. Thomas, well, he demonstrates a questioning attitude that could tend to undermine morale. We feel it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. <laughs> In closing, we did find one candidate who shows great potential. He is a man of ability. He is a man of resourcefulness. He is a man of ambition. And we recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All other profiles are self-explanatory. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants of Jerusalem. Well, praise God, Jesus didn't listen to them. Jesus chose the 12. He handpicked them, ordinary men from varying backgrounds and economic statuses. These were men God would place his hand upon, and they would indeed turn the world upside down. And you can look throughout Scripture. You can read throughout Scripture as we look to see the people that God has used. We see that God has gone out of his ways to find individuals who didn't look as though they could amount to anything. And you know what? He's still looking today. There's a great scripture that I love to quote, and I don't mind quoting it again today. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, wherefore from now on you shall have wars. The eyes of the Lord looking to and fro throughout the entire world of still who he can show himself strong upon. He's looking for someone that he can show himself strong on. This is great news to me. When I look at the, these guys' lives, when I look at the lives of all the saints in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when I see all these people, it gives me great assurance that God can and God will use anyone who is totally submitted to him. God will use them. So Jesus chose these 12 but there was someone in the mix who was different, like I said. Someone who seemed like a true follower of Jesus Christ, but deep down, he was what I call a covert defector. He was a covert defector. Someone who blended in. Someone who was close to the inner circle. The words of this verse, 70V, must have shocked others. Let's look at 70 again. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. This is not the first time Jesus spoke of a betrayer. We read back in verse 64 when Jesus said, but there are many of you who do not believe. And then John writes, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe and who would betray him. This is directed towards the ones that left, but it's also directed towards Judas. Judas was the one that would betray him. And here Jesus clearly shows that he knew that Jesus was going to Betray him before he was chosen. Have you ever been betrayed by someone? Have you ever really cared for someone? Spent time with someone? Had them come to your house for dinner? Went to their house for dinners? Talked to their kids? Helped raise their kids? Loved their kids? Been with them? Brother, sister, whatever it is? And then they betrayed you? Maybe it was someone you loved. They betrayed you. How did it make you feel? Probably didn't make you feel very well. Now let me ask you this question. Before you made friends with that person, if you knew they were going to betray you, would you still have been friends with them? Be honest. 
would you still have chosen that person to be your friend if you knew in advance that they were going to betray you? <laughs> Jesus knew. Jesus knew all about Judas. So the crowd turns away from Jesus, and he looks at the 12, and they decided to stay. And then he drops the bomb on them. One of you is a devil. The word here means false accuser. It's the word diabolos, devil, false accuser. When he said that, did they turn and look at each other? Like, they didn't know who it was. Did Peter give each other peepers in the evil eye trying to fur them out? Were they giving Peter the evil eye? Like, did it occur to Peter that he, suddenly he wasn't speaking for all 12? Because Peter was a spokesperson. If you look back there, it says, we believe. Peter was speaking for the 12. It's interesting that the Apostle John, when he was writing his, his gospel, and you'll see that, we've come across it before, from time to time, he writes an explanation of things. Remember, John is seeing this from hindsight. John is seeing this after the resurrection, after the ascension. John is writing this. And, and he clearly clarifies what Jesus was saying. Look at 71. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Judas, the name that everyone shudders at when you hear that. Have you ever been called a Judas? Besides Judas Iscariot, the only other person I ever known that got notoriety out of it was a guy named Judas Priest. Nobody wants that name. Would you name your kid? You look at the list of kids' names, boy names. You don't see that at the top anywhere. Why? Because it signifies betrayer. It signifies traitor. It signifies evil, a liar, a hypocrite, someone who's greedy. It signifies the devil. These words describe a man whose heart was definitely not following Jesus Christ. His heart was so far from the Lord that he had to make things up. He had to pretend to be what he was not. So I have three reasons why Jesus chose Judas to betray to be one of his disciples. Three reasons for you. And the first was, he did it to fulfill Bible prophecy. Jesus chose Judas to fulfill Bible prophecy. In Psalm 41, in verse 9, David is writing, and he says this in verse 9, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. This is messianic, it's prophetic. David is talking about the Messiah. Lifted up his heel against me, my own friend, whom I've supped with, whom I've ate with. And it's really interesting that in John 13, we'll get there some year. In John 13, in verse 18, Jesus says this, quoting Psalm 49. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had done these things, he was troubled in the spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. This obviously, remember, was at the Last Supper. It was important for Jesus to tell his disciples that he wasn't surprised that somebody was going to betray him. 
It's important for Jesus to tell them that he knew all along that Judas was going to betray him. And this first, there's a sense of treacherous, unexpected attack or a cruel advantage of someone. That's what betrayal is. Imagine eating with someone, having them over at your house, being friends with them, and all of a sudden they become one of your enemies. It's a horrible thing. And interesting about this is in biblical culture, in those days when you ate, everyone dipped in the sop. Everyone dipped in the sop. I don't know if they double dipped, but they all dipped in the sop. And you became one with that person by dipping in the sop. And so it was really, really important. So this type of betrayal was the greatest of all betrayals. It was the greatest of all apostasies. Jesus didn't tell his disciples that one of them would betray him just because he had just learned about it. He knew it all along, but he wanted to tell them so the disciples would remain faithful, those who were stayed with him. He wanted them to remain faithful. And it's interesting, as Jesus reminded all his disciples, including Judas, his work wasn't finished. Judas, Judas would not win. The, the work of Jesus would continue and continues even today, even though Judas's betrayal led to a cross. But that was where Jesus was going all along, and he knew it. And that's where he had to go. He also wanted Judas to know that rejecting him meant he was rejecting God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. There are bigger consequences. This was no small betrayal. So Jesus chose Judas to fulfill prophecy. He also chose Judas so that we can relate to him and he can relate to our hurts. Everyone I know has been hurt by someone who thought a friend, someone you trusted. Jesus can relate to your broken heart. He can relate to what you're going through because it happened to him. Only his situation led him to a cross. He knows exactly how you feel. So he can have compassion on you and he can love you and he can show you through the midst. And finally, I think that Judas was chosen to enlighten, us our, uh, enlighten our awareness of hypocrisy. There will always be posers, people who make believe they're Christians, but they are not. This is telling us that they can even be in your inner circle. They can even be so close to you. You know, the story of the betrayal of Jesus has been the center of much theological debate. Yes, Jesus had to die on the cross. Yes, that was, that was foretold. He had to die for the sin of all humanity. Yes, he did. And Jesus had to be a, Judas had to be a part of that. Yes. But did it have to be one of his own? Couldn't it have been a Roman soldier or a Pharisee or someone from the government? Did Judas have a choice in the matter? Was Judas ever a true disciple? All those things we leave to the theologians. They can debate that till the cows come home if they want. They can debate all those things. But in my opinion, Judas did something that was worse than just leaving him. He was a covert defector. Covert meaning stealth, meaning everything he did was in secret. His activity, he was the ultimate poser. Those who left that day, they just left. They just left. And we said last week that some of them even returned. They didn't go around claiming to follow Jesus and then bring shame on the kingdom by their disobedience. They quietly went back to their old life, it says in verse 66. Judas, on the other hand, stayed with Jesus for three years, even though he didn't believe that he was the Son of God. Remember, Peter said, we believe and come to know. We, for all of them. Judas was a covert defector. 
He made out like he was a follower of Jesus, yet he was full of greed. He was full of envy. He was skillful at deception. Would have been better if Judas had just walked away. Judas may have agreed with those who wanted to make Jesus king just the day before. He might have been disappointed that Jesus didn't accept. And since he was one of the 12, he thought maybe he'd have a position in the monarchy. And so he might have been upset about that. But from Scripture, we know that Judas stayed with Jesus to see what he could get from him. Jesus, speaking of Judas in John 12, 6, says, Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what he put into it. Now the big question. How many of us are covert defectors? We come to church. We claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, yet we really don't live our lives and give our lives to him because we don't want to accept the fact that he's the son of God. How many of us are posers? There are many covert defectors in the church today. And I love this quote. I forget where I got it, but I love this quote. They have a profession of salvation, but sadly, there is no possession of salvation. They claim to profess Jesus Christ, but they don't possess Jesus Christ. Billy Graham himself once said that perhaps half or more of churchgoers in America have never been born again. That's a scary statistic. That's a scary statistic. Yes, you may have walked down the aisle, maybe shook the preacher's hand, maybe tears flowed, maybe you prayed a prayer that you were told to pray, but it was a real decision to turn your life to Christ. Or was it something else? Many church members today have great reputations. They're respected for their service and faithfulness and attendance. Maybe they work in ministry or sing in the choir. And sometimes they're a leader, a deacon, a teacher, or even a pastor. They might have the right reputation as far as other things. But the real question is, what does God know about them? Does God know them that way, in an intimate way, because they've accepted Christ and they've opened up their heart to Jesus Christ and they've submitted everything to them? Now, I'm not speaking about the person who is struggling in their faith. It's not who I'm speaking about. I'm speaking about folks who just go about living, giving no thought to the examples that they make on other people. They've accepted Christ, and now they're living their life just like the rest of the world. And you can't tell any difference between them and the world. And they're just living their life the way they want to. Posers. They're not real Christians. A covert defector can damage the kingdom of God. If you call yourself a Christian, our lives must reflect it. We will not be sinless perfect, but people should see signs of Jesus in your lives. From the time you've accepted Jesus Christ until now, there should be some change. There should be something to identify you as one of his. There should be something. Judas was a covert defector. And if we look at our text, it's a warning of religious hypocrites. I would hope that if the Lord returned right now, that this church would be empty. I would hope that this church would have nobody in it. But sadly, when I read the Bible, it doesn't appear that way. You are a sure.
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.